we're doing what we can to set a good example and try to create infrastructure that, hey, if nation states wanted to reuse it, they could. Here's one, but what if you had, instead of a proof of stake system for the US government, what if you had a system where stake was linked to the amount you paid in taxes to make tax payment a virtuous act, both literally and in terms of your sovereignty in the system? Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Jake Yoakum Pyatt. He's one of the project leads at Decree. In this episode, we talk about their decentralized autonomous cryptocurrency and how they're building governance systems around what they're working on and organizing themselves in a both transparent and open source kind of way. It's a fascinating interview, so please stay tuned. episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash Hacker Noon full-stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically they give us a machine and we run a dockerized instance of discourse on there. It's a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Jake from Decreed. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Uh, hi there. Um, my name is Jake Yocompiat. I am the current project lead for the Decred Cryptocurrency Project. I am also the CEO of Company Zero LLC, and Company Zero is one of the uh, you know more important contractors for the Decred Project. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about the Decred Project and uh, you know how it works? It's it's interesting because you're actually a decentralized organization. Yeah, we try to we try to do things differently here uh, at Decred, and what you know, our goal is to create a governance system that allows governance to happen without elected uh, officials, and that's you know that's a that's a big step away from sort of the existing infrastructure, and we do that by you know by approaching it on on really three fronts. Is we focus on the security of uh, you know of our system. We use a hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake consensus system, and that gives us a very strong resistance to uh, majority attacks, like people trying to fork your blockchain. The second sort of facet of it is this governance facet, which we focus on. It, you know, I'm of the mind, and, and most of the people in the project are of the mind, that in order for a, any project to evolve in the cryptocurrency space, things like consensus rules have to change over time, and things like budgets have to be approved, and there's a whole bunch of infrastructure and moving parts that need to be coordinated and agreed upon uh, by the various stakeholders in the system. So we, we aim to adapt as a, as a function of time and really have a, have a project that keeps moving as opposed to, you know, stagnates and argues for protracted amounts of period, protracted periods of time about, you know, say, which color the bike shed should be, which I'm, I expect you're pretty familiar with. And, um, the, you know, the third, the third front that we try to move on is the self-funding component. Um, I participated in the, in the Bitcoin ecosystem back in early 2013. And, you know, since then, I've been working in the cryptocurrency space. 
and the tragedy of the commons is a is a very real thing. So it takes you know it takes money to uh, you know to keep the whole system up and running and and being built out continually. So we've got a uh, you know a system where a portion of every of every block reward accumulates to a development fund that is used to basically create a treasury for the project. Yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting component because the breakdown, if I remember correctly, is about thirty percent proof of uh, stake and then another. 30% proof of work. And then you've got like, what, what was the other breakdowns? And then you've got a treasury, which is like 10, 20% or. So, so it gets, it gets split. Uh, say the subsidy of every block gets split three ways. 60% goes to proof of work, 30% okay. to proof of stake and 10% to the development organization, which we will be transitioning into a, like a, a formal treasury system in the next year. But then that's all. And then the treasury system and how that kind of functions, I mean, and how the, the company itself is functioning is basically a decentralized autonomous organization. Yeah. What, what, what we did is that when we released in, in February, 2016, we realized that going from where we were to where we really want to be in terms of, uh, you know, creating a DAO or, or any sort of decentralized organization that, that runs Decred is that there's an enormous amount of infrastructure that has to be built out to make this stuff happen. As much as anybody wants to snap their fingers and go like, you know, bang, I got a DAO. The reality is, is there's all these people and, you know, things that need to happen, you know, oh, you need budgeting. Now you need to make sure there's contractors working on things. And then, oh, there's another sub project you need to build out. And, oh, you need a billing subsystem. There's all of these things that are easy to forget about. And so what we did is we started with what we saw as the dead minimum we needed to go live, which was this hybrid proof of work, proof of stake consensus system. And we're working to build out the rest of the infrastructure as we go. Yeah. And then you're building a governance model kind of around that as well so that you have all these voting mechanisms. And then that also both functions, it seems, for the currency itself, but they can also kind of function as a, uh, as a mechanism to help run the decentralized autonomous organization. Exactly. And that's actually what drew me to the, uh, you know, to the, to the project in the first place. When, when uh, I, I was first uh, pointed at uh, a paper called the M-Coin, Memcoin 2 uh, paper, this mm-hmm. was back in mid 2013 and I was pointed at it and it was suggested that, Oh, you know, you should really take a look at this by a few people. Well, one of whom ended up being one of my co-founders, someone who goes by the pseudonym Ingsoc and pointed, pointed me at this paper and said, Oh, you really got to let you check this paper out. And I, I looked at it and what I really, what really popped out to me was exactly what you were describing was how there's the hybrid proof of work, proof of stake, which is great for security and sort of uh, protecting the chain against majority attacks. But also the, that same system included voting infrastructure so that as the proof of stake component was participating, it was, uh, you know, people who were participating in the proof of stake system could also vote at the same time. Yeah. And that voting mechanism's critical because we haven't seen, we haven't seen another cryptocurrency project really figure that out yet. Obviously you've got companies that are building like decentralized autonomous organization software, like almost like a project management solution for running your own DAO, but um, they haven't, they're not really actually using it yet within their own organizations, or if they are, it hasn't grown past a certain point yet. This is unique because you've got, you know, a cryptocurrency that has this kind of hybrid model that's then also running with this decentralized system. So, so for the audience, can you kind of explain, like anyone can kind of show up and become what you kind of deem a contractor and just start participating? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a really open system here. We try, you know, we endeavor to run the project like a sort of a pure open source project. There's a number of larger scale open source projects, whether they're operating systems or, you know, other, you know, other larger scale projects. And we treat everything like an open collective. People can show up and if they want to show up and hack, that's really cool. Sometimes they want to show up and contribute to, you know, helping us with text copy or helping us with marketing. Um, there's a whole bunch of different facets to the project. And so people can, are free to show up and, you know, they, they, they demonstrate that they have some skills that we can use as part of the project and they, and they, uh, you know, just start working and eventually we start paying them after they've sort of demonstrated that they're, uh, they're, they're, useful as part of the project. Mm -hmm. and, and then that also connects to, uh, you know, that also connects to the decentralized nature of the decisions we make is the system where you vote, you know, it's a proof of work, proof of stake system that where you vote is the most contentious things that seem to come up in cryptocurrencies are, con are consensus rule changes. Should we change our proof of work algorithm? Should we issue more coins? Should we add privacy? Should we uh, you know, should we undo a smart contract? These kinds of things, people really, really care about these. So from our perspective, what we decided to do first was go at the, you know, go at this from a, uh, you know, what was the most valued, uh, you know, perspective. So we hit that first. And then we've also in parallel with that set up this contractor system to help sort of foster that, that process along. And I, I liked, so I, I went to a presentation and uh, at uh, Coinbase's headquarters and kind of got a summary of, you know, everything that you guys are working on. And I really liked the user interfaces for how you're setting up your voting and providing that kind of extra layer of transparency. Um, I haven't seen that with other projects as much, especially not with like an actual GUI to be able to present, uh, hey, here's what we're voting on today. Here's how many people voted. Like, I, you know, there's actual software here that's, that's already starting to run this thing and help make decisions. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, you know an unfortunate consequence of being in the blockchain space and and really any sort of tech you know tech subdomain is that there's a lot of people who make many promises up front and then they don't deliver on it and you know with Decred we try to do a little bit backwards where we'll under promise and over deliver so when people show up and check it out they're like wow whoa you're, you what you mean you've had this in production for three years and it's like there's still people promising systems like this and they're barely working right now so it's uh it, you know that process is a is always a bit of a it's always a bit of a challenge right you know everyone wants us to promise big but it's like we under promise and over deliver we do it backwards and yeah. then you know with respect to the uniqueness component is I believe that currently we are the we either are the only or we're one of two uh, projects that have binding rule changes in the sense that if someone proposes a consensus rule change on, in our system, it gets voted on on chain by our by our uh, stakeholders who participate in the proof of stake system, and that change will only activate when they voted it in. Like, let's say one of these changes was put in and I personally think it's an awful idea. It doesn't matter. It's going to activate. And when it activates, it's, it, it's, it's cryptographically binding on chain in a way that it just isn't for other projects. Um, the thing that we, you know, that we see a lot with other projects in the governance space is that there's a lot of soft decision-making that, that comes up, right? That there will be uh, systems for assessing, say, stakeholder sentiment, but they won't actually hardwire it to anything. And whereas, we, again, we go sort of the opposite way. We hardwire the change. Then once the votes come in, it activates, you know, pretty much irrespective of what my opinion is or, you know, what my developer's opinions are or, you know, some 
you know participants in the project's opinions are. And but that it can like be rejected as well, right? Uh, what was that? It could be rejected as well. Most certainly, and if it's rejected, it it, it simply doesn't activate. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a Dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. Yeah, it's definitely a different uh, a different take to the solution that I've seen from other companies. But the I, I like the fact that you know you're really building the governance system into this at the beginning. Um, because that's really kind of where that's the foundation. That's where you kind of have to start um, because it's on top of that government system that you have to build everything else. Um, and a lot of these projects are kind of doing it backwards. They're, you know, building the ideal cryptocurrency or transaction platform or whatever it is. And then they're having to work backwards to build their governance system around it. And it's, you kind of have to start with the governance person first and then layer on top of that. Um, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think that Ethereum is a is a great example of a system where exactly that happened, which is that there was, you know, there was a, a lot of attention and a lot of uh, buzz around the idea of smart contracts. And that's great. And smart contracts are very helpful. But what we've seen is, is that, you know, over time, they're, they're, they're talking about moving away from proof of work, they want to move to proof of stake with Ethereum. And the difficulty seems to be that, there's, you know, an advocacy and agency problem, which is that the people who are effectively in control of the project have a bit of a conflict of interest. They might, you know, my inference is, is that based on the fact that they're not wholeheartedly seeking a governance solution that's sort of, you know, say proof of stake based, they are, you know, they're reticent to give up the sovereignty they enjoy as the project leads. And so it's, you know, once people get into a position where it's like, you know, oh, I'm the ruler of, you know, I'm the ruler of country X, it's like, once they once they sit in the throne, they're like, oh, I could sit here for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I'm again, I'm trying to approach that backwards and say, listen, I'm going to sit here for as, for as long as I have to. And then we're going to effectively engineer me out of the equation, which mm -hmm. I think is, you know, that's really the only way to have a governance system that will really, you know, stand the test of time is to engineer personalities out of it. And, and let's talk a little bit about your role. So what is it that you're doing, Jake, on a day-to-day -day basis? How are you contributing and leading this project? The project has a whole bunch of facets. Um, I feel like a lot of cryptocurrencies try to focus on just one thing. We have a bunch of things that we focus on. So I spread myself you know, relatively thin. And my role is really as a uh, person to steer the development process. I'm, uh, you know, I can handle things like, you know, talking in public and, you know, giving presentations. But my real, my, the, my real value add is working with, uh, you know, small teams of talented developers to build things that either don't exist or, you know, could exist with just a little bit of extra work. And mm -hmm. that's where I sort. That's how I leverage my time. Um, so on a day to day basis, I might be working. Uh, you know, I might be working with Marco Piraboom. He's, you know, he's someone I've been working with for eleven years at Company Zero. And he's the CTO. We work on a timestamping system that records data with identities. It's called Politea. We use that as the basis for our proposal system. 
And we're trying to extend that to other areas. I had mentioned a billing system before. So for example, you know, there's Politea and Politea is for proposals. And then there's, you know, the other option, which is, uh, we call it the contractor management system, where people will be submitting invoices and then, you know, getting their work reviewed, getting their invoices audited and getting their invoices paid. It's not, it's not excessively exciting stuff, but when you have a large project with dozens of people working on it, that's what you have. These are the kind of things that you got to make move. And, you know, um, we're in the process of getting uh, Lightning Network supported uh, on Decred. That is that is imminent uh, as we speak. So I've you know I've been making sure that process continues. And we have a lot of great people who are you know self starters and more or less self motivated and self managed. So I show up and I just make sure that everybody's sort of moving along on their fronts and nobody's bottlenecked. And if they're bottlenecked, I try to help them out and you know unstick them. And, um, you know, I also do a little bit of work on the privacy stuff on the side and there's a whole variety of things I'm doing. So most of my day is spent, uh, liaising with, uh, the developers and making sure that projects get shepherded to completion. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a task master master and, uh, I'm not a great bad cop, but I bad cop here and there. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're in a really strong leadership role and you kind of almost have to go in and mentor and work with all these different divisions and kind of make sure that, as you said, make sure you're clearing those bottlenecks, making sure that projects are moving forward. I mean, at that, you know, it, it sounds like at the level you're at in kind of the hierarchy of how this is all set up, um, you definitely have, uh, you know, you definitely are in that position to be able to do that because of the nature of how this is all organized. Uh, that's why I find decentralized autonomous organizations so fascinating. And here you guys have really built one. So what are some of the philosophies and like some of the underlining principles of, you know, where, what is the belief system or ideology that is going into shaping your government system? Like what is, what are the values that it's based on? That's a really excellent question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me this question before. <laughs> so uh, if I had to, if I had to characterize it, you know, my, my personal sort of take on this is it comes from a place of I've seen, say, nation-state governance and committee governance and informal governance and Bitcoin governance all go kind of sideways, and I just don't like where things are going. And the pattern that you know that that seems clear to me after uh, my experience in the Bitcoin space is that, say, Bitcoin is very much centrally planned. That you know the the, de the developers and engineers involved with the project they're very talented people, but it's effectively a technocracy, or is it is it is it technocracy. I, I, I feel like I said that wrong, but uh, a little bit of a dictatorship. My words, not yours. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. There you go. I feel so. So there's a handful of people who really run that project. And, and we got very close to it because we made an alternative full node Bitcoin implementation called BTCD. We can wallet with it too. And that's all called BTC suite. And that ended up feeding into the development of lightning labs, LND and so on and, and several other projects. When we did that, it became very clear to me that it was a central planning committee. So as much as I love Bitcoin, you know, the finiteness, the, uh, you know, the, irre the irreversibility of transactions, I ended up seeing like, well, I, I step and there's like a few people behind the curtain and it's like, well, shouldn't you, okay, you guys just decentralized timestamping. That's what Bitcoin does. It's a decentralizing the timestamps, which sort of gets rid of banks or at least gives you the option to avoid them. And it immediately occurred to me, I'm like, this seems like you were, you're totally punting on another layer of decentralization. And that is really what we're trying to bring to the table, which is to go, 
listen, every, you know, everybody does peer proof of work sort of ended up sort of bolting on features and then they stopped and rather than decentralizing other important processes that are, you know, very much centrally planned, they just stopped there. And so we, you know, we're keeping that ball rolling and that process really matters to me because I I see a lot of value in it because as soon as you put one person in charge, like an Oracle, that Oracle has all kinds of power over you and me. Like if we go to a bank and somebody closes your bank account, if you've never had a bank account closed, uh, it's, it's, it gets very real when you have a bank account closed. And that, that, that makes you understand how much power that Oracle has over your life. And, and I mean, even society or what people perceive as reality. And, and this, you know, that, you know, it's something I've always found unpleasant and I've always wanted to engineer against sort of implicitly in my own life and to show up here and sort of have an opportunity to drive that engineering to completion to engineer out these oracles is something that I'm really passionate about and it really drives me forward and you know you see a lot of people like say people fighting over nation state governance in the US like I'm a democrat I'm a republican the problem at the end of the day is that elected representatives have their interests misaligned with those with you know with their own constituents and right. I feel like, you know, the problem there is, is, you know, governance is all about personality to most people. And I really view it as about policy. You know, people might not like me personally, but I try to be, you know, intelligent about things I, I propose and things I push for. And that process, I think, is, you know, there's a lot of merit to re-engineering the decision-making process for groups of people. Because I feel like, you know, in our current day and age, it's pretty, it's pretty broken. Yeah. I mean, with our current governance model of like how the U.S. government's set up, for example, I mean, you've got lobbyists, you've got, you know, the ability now to basically use money as free speech, uh, you know, do that Supreme Court ruling. So like basically corruption has been legalized in the United States of America. um, And that's that's how things get done. And as you, you said, something really pointed is, you know, why should the most charismatic person in the room be the only one who's able to get their ideas across? You know, maybe you're not the most charismatic person, but maybe you do have the best idea. And I mean, in many cases, you've got introverts who are scientists, who are doctors, um, you know, who have these other professions and experiences and, you know, who have a lot of knowledge that doesn't necessarily get leverage because they may not have the same social clout as someone who's more political. So, we're kind of ignoring the people who might actually have the answers to our questions in favor of the people who have more social clout, who potentially don't have answers to those questions, but they have that social clout so they can kind of get away with it. So it sounds like you're trying to kind of break down that barrier. Yeah. And, and, and something that we've seen a lot of in the, in the cryptocurrency space is that there's, a, there's very much an echo chamber effect where you know one one twitter celebrity says something and then it becomes you know de facto true because everyone else repeats it ad nauseum and we want to get away from systems like that informal governance where there you know there's a central planning committee they hire a bunch of people to be sock puppets online and then oh wow look at all this organic support for the thing i just proposed and instead of instead of having this easily faked or easily gamed uh, you know representation system what what I really find great about Decred is is that it's all bound by these coins. That is, there's an intrinsic property to the you know to you know to Decred that allows people to govern things within Decred. Now, 
it's a shortcoming, right? We can't like, you know, make decisions inside of Decred and say, have it affect your nation state government, but <laughs> we can do what we, we can, or, you know, we're doing what we can to set a good example and, and try to uh, create infrastructure that, hey, if, if nation states wanted to reuse it, uh, they could. I mean, like, here, you know, like here's one. What if, you, uh, what if you had, instead of a proof of stake system for the U.S. government, what if you had a system where stake was, was linked to the amount you paid in taxes to make tax payment a virtuous act, both literally and in terms of your sovereignty in the system? I mean, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of changes you could make that I think could benefit the world, you know, the world as it currently exists, that, you know, that are based on these ideas. No, that would be fascinating. I mean, if you were to do that, that would take control away from the billionaires, actually, because most billionaires aren't paying taxes. Uh, they use legal loopholes. They use, you know, different structures, financial structures to make sure that they're, they're not paying anything. Amazon, like tons of profits. No, they're not paying any taxes. So you'd actually have someone who's making like $50,000 a year, potentially have more voting power than mm. Amazon. If you were to implement a system like that, which it just goes to show you how like kind of screwed up our tax system is where someone making $50,000 a year, you know, is paying more in taxes than a company, a multi-billion dollar company like Amazon. Yeah. I mean, the way the sovereignty is, the, the way the sovereignty systems in nation states scale, it just makes, it's, it's, it's mind boggling the way it works. You know, it's to as far as I'm concerned, once, once you start rebranding bribery as lobbying, it's like, you know, at that point it's time to start to rethink, you know, maybe we could figure something out that's a little bit better than calling something not bribery. You know, I mean, that, that to me was, a you know, uh, I think, you know, everybody, once they get older, learns these things, but it's like, you know, once I was like, hold on, hold on, what's lobbying? You know, when I first learned that in my, probably my mid twenties or my early twenties, I was like, that shouldn't be legal. And I feel like, you know, that people don't, people don't really, you know, read the signs. Everybody wants to, everybody wants to eat that free lunch. And you know, that, that drives a lot of behavior. Well, and I've always looked at solving problems, like the problems you're trying to solve. It's always better to build a new system than sometimes trying to fix the old one, because sometimes the old system is just so corrupt and broken that it's just like, okay, let's go start from scratch, evaluate what technologies and knowledge we have available today, and let's start there. We can obviously implement the valuables or, or you know, the variables and different values that come from the old system. You can definitely bring some of those over, but then you can leverage what exists now versus what existed back hundreds of years ago, potentially, uh, you know, when some of these other systems were put in place. So it just makes sense sometimes to start fresh and start building on what we have today. Yeah, I mean, uh, th that's definitely how I feel. It's like, you know, I have a lot of strong feelings about how I think nation state governance should change. But the reality is, is that I only got one life to live. How much change am I going to make in any of those systems? I could spend all day, you know, lobbying and yelling and trying to push for law changes. And it's like, I'm never going to be able to compete with, you know, giant tech companies that have tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in lobbying budgets. So it's like, well, why should I, why should I even bother? And so I feel like a direct, um, uh, you know, direct sovereignty systems like, like Decred really change the game because mm -hmm. as soon as you delegate your sovereignty, and I know that there's a number of, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies where, where people delegate their sovereignty via, what is it? Delegated proof of stake. 
when that happens, when you give your sovereignty to someone else, that person's interests are almost always not aligned with yours. They'll try to convince you that they are aligned. Like I support whatever wedge issue you want me to support. And, uh, you know, then you feel like, Oh wow, this person's really going to do me a solid when, you know, they're in Congress or whatever. And they get into Congress and they don't do anything they said they do. And, and, and I think that that lack of incentive alignment tells me that the, that the solution is to engineer these people out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, say, uh, in the context of, uh, you know, representative government, if you look at it, you know, there were two reasons that representative government was created for the United States, which was one, uh, it was a merchant's revolution and the merchants didn't want absolute dum-dum. They didn't want a democracy because they didn't want a, you know, mob rule, right? They thought, oh, well, I know better. That's becoming an increasingly difficult argument to make in the modern time, right? You know, you can't mm-hmm. be like, well, everybody's an idiot and I'm smart, so I should be in charge. It's like, that's a... That's well, a there, is, there is even inherent racism and other socio factors that were going on at that time that were baked into the, some of these initial laws and even the Constitution. I mean, this is why we have amendments. Um, so they, they saw the need even back then, you know, to add amendments to the system because they realized that, hey, in the future, we might need to fix some things. Yeah, but maybe we didn't get it all right on the first pass. And then, you know, yeah, like exactly. the, other, the other part of representative government is, is that it was practically the only way you had to do it. No one, you know, everyone didn't have a computer in their pocket in, you know, 17, 1776. You know, everyone had to be like, well, we got to make decisions somehow. Let's put somebody in charge and you know, <laughs> put a bunch of pieces of paper in a box and then choose somebody who's going to, you know, who's going to be the person. And I feel like, you know, now that we have telecommunications and we have everyone has, you know, computing power in their pocket or on a, a computer they install, we can more or less, I think, I think we're, we're in a position where we could discard that system. Mm-hmm. Well, and ultimately where it sounds like you're starting right now is corporate governance. Like the system that's, what I see right now is you've kind of set up an initial corporate governance system, which is different than, you know, pretty much how every other corporation is ran. Um, You know, the way that you've kind of set up how contractors work, how people get involved, you've kind of open sourced this and added the extra layers of transparency. Uh, You don't get that if you're working for a Fortune 100 company. Um, So you've already, to some extent, you're, you're working on disrupting that kind of corporate governance system with the intention of later being able to apply it to, you know, a nation state governance and other governance systems as well. Yeah. And, you know, the big idea with where we're going with Decred is, is that, you know, physical sovereignty is something that is in short supply. If you want to go start, you know, your, your, your country, uh, you know, your, your floaty floatistan off the coast of Thailand, you know, the Thai government may, threaten you with death and imprisonment. And, uh, you know, increasingly physical sovereignty is more and more restricted. You need to be treated like a criminal to get on an airplane. You need to be treated like a criminal to get a bank account. And uh, so your physical sovereignty is less and less and less over time. So to me, the obvious solution here is to make sovereignty more digital. And the the direction I see this going is, is that Decred is sort of aiming to not just be a, you know, an autonomous organization, but effectively a digital state. And all of this infrastructure that we're building can be readily reused by existing nation state governments if they so choose. You know, you, if you want to have, uh, you know, your, your documents stored or files stored in a time-ordered file system, you can use Politeo, which is the same system we use for our proposal system. Uh, you know, you want to manage contractors, you can use our contractor management system. We're trying to create reusable tools, not just for us, but for other projects and for other organizations who are interested in, in replicating some of what we've, you know, come up with here. 
Awesome. Well, I've got to ask, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Well, I guess I, I guess you could, I guess you could argue that I had to hack Bitcoin and uh, <laughs> you know, Bitcoin wasn't doing it for us. We got too close to the central central planning committee. We determined in relatively short order that we could have spent the rest of our adult lives arguing with these with these guys and uh, you know, trying to sort of gain a toehold or gain some kind of sovereignty in that system. And it really just it, it wasn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we did the end run and we and, and we ended up, you know, hacking up Decred. And Decred was, you know, a, like a, a team effort from a number of people. You know, I saw the shortcomings. I, I had a team of people. People convinced me and, you know, we, we all collectively ran the ball and we ended up, we ended up uh, implementing what we saw as a way to hack around Bitcoin and, and do something new in the space. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that you've given up a lot of that decision making to the crowd, um, you know, to the people who show up and participate. So uh, it's definitely a, a different model and it's definitely quite the hack there. Yeah. Uh, I, and frankly, I mean, I, I've been running businesses since 2003. So uh, I can say the, the crown is heavy. Uh, you, when you make bad decisions, they're all on you. When you make good decisions, eh, a lot of the time they're not all on you. So it's a difficult role to have. And hey, the, the more we can share the load and share the wheel, the, you know, the, the happier I am. I just like to build stuff and, and uh, you know, sort of change the status quo. That's, that's why I'm here. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? What we're trying to do with Decred is we're trying to really tr- transform what we see as the future of cryptocurrency. We're not here, this isn't a game to just make a small amount of money and then you know exit at some point. This is really building infrastructure that we hope lasts for decades or centuries. And people continue to get a lot of utility out of uh, after, I don't know, let's say I got hit by a bus, you know, the project goes on and, you know, the machine keeps, keeps moving. Um, if, if this interests you, anyone, you know, any of your uh, viewers or listeners at all, uh, I, hey, we'd be happy to have you show up and participate in the project. Awesome. And where can people find you? Uh, we are available at uh, decred.org, and we have a number of chat channels that people can reach us on, uh, Matrix being one of them. Uh, that's our primary chat network. And, uh, you know, it's just a few clicks away. So visit the website and, uh, you know, hop on, hop on our chats and, and say hi, and you can get involved. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.